Back to John chapter 12. John chapter number 12. And as you're standing there, let me give you, as you're turning there, go ahead and begin standing. I want to give you a prayer request right quick. Uh, I got a phone call this morning from Miss May Bramlett, one of our folks, uh, that her son, Tommy Taylor, uh, was in a bad accident last night. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, it was the one that has been talked about on social media a little bit down at near Camp Shelby. Uh, I told uh, Brother Brent earlier, I was in the office last night about 7 o'clock and saw the cop cars going by and ambulances going by. And if I'm not mistaken, that was the accident. He's an ICU at Forest General, and they've asked us to pray for him this morning. So if you would remember Miss Bramlett, particularly her son, Tommy Taylor, as we'll be praying here in just a moment. John chapter number 12, and let's look down into verse number 12. We, we started here last week, and the Lord has led us to stay in this uh, a little longer than I originally thought. John chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse number 12. If you'll look down, we'll read through several verses, and then we'll pray and let you be seated. The Bible says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found the young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Now look up, if you will, to verse number 17. The Bible says, The people, therefore, that, were, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of his grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. I love that part. Behold, the world has gone after him. So verse 20, verse 21 and 22 begins to tell of those that are seeking out Christ as he enters into Jerusalem and what we call the triumphal entry. Verse 23 we read last week, follow along. The Bible says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I do thank you this morning for your goodness. I thank you for your blessing and the opportunity to be here this morning in such bad weather. Thank you, Lord, for those that were willing and able to make it. And I pray that you bless us this morning as we come now to the preaching part where we open our hearts to receive what you know we need. And I pray we would. Lord, help us today as a church to come together, Lord, and unite behind your word and seek, Lord, to collectively do your will. And for those that may be lost here today, Lord, let them know. I pray your Holy Spirit would stir their heart and come to trust Christ today before it's eternally too late. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If I've done my math correctly, uh, we are over halfway through the first quarter of our year. And oh, how time does fly when you're having fun. I don't know about you, but I've been having fun. And time has been flying a little bit. It's going faster than I expected it to. But in this first quarter of the year, we have focused our attention as a church uh, on the theme of being engaged, but specifically being engaged in our giving. And as I begin to pray about back in the fall about what God would have us to preach on and lead in in the new year, uh, the theme of Engage began uh, to come to focus very quickly of how each and every one of us uh, should desire to participate in being involved and being engaged in the will of God. And as we begin praying about the quarters, asking God what would be preached when, it was interesting that he led with giving first. 
But as this has begun to unfold, I begin to see that the truth of the matter is we must understand that in order to be engaged, if we are going to be involved, that we, it will require of us to give. You think about it, there's nothing that you are engaged in in your life that is worthwhile that you don't have to give to. Think about your job. Uh, most of you, you probably give around 40, 50 hours a week to your job. Why? Because you like to eat and you like air conditioning and you like being able to put gas in your car. And so you're willing to be engaged, but in order to be engaged in your job, it costs you your time. You have to give time to that. If you want to make more money and climb the ladder of success at your job to be even more engaged, then it requires you to give more of yourself and more of your time. I think about sports. I used to love to play sports, and uh, as I get older and less athletic, I enjoy watching sports more than I enjoy playing sports, and it's harder to get off the ground now. You're carrying a few extra pounds, but I remember when I played sports, if I wanted to play in the game, I had to show up to practice. I could not skip out on practices and expect the coach to put me in the game. And if I missed out, then I would be sitting the bench. And if I missed out enough, after a while, I couldn't expect to even be on the team. Why? If I want to be engaged, I was going to have to put in the time and give of myself. Get a little closer to home. Some of you may be members of hunting clubs. Hunting season's about over with, and we're already thinking about next year and the one that got away. And we're thinking about what we want to do and how we want to go hunt and all these things. But hunting clubs involve dues, don't they? Don't you have to pay to be a part of a hunting club? Yeah, that comes up and you want to be hunting in that club, then you have to be willing to do what? You got to be willing to pay. You got to be willing to give and so on and so forth. Anything that's worthwhile that you want to be engaged in, we must understand that we got to be required. We were required to give to. Probably the most important that I think about this morning is our marriages. You think about what the Bible spells out for us about a husband and a wife and how our marriages should work. The Bible says that the husband is to love his wife even as Christ loved the church and what? And gave himself for it. If you want to have a marriage that's working and functioning the way that it could function to the glory of God, if you want it to be engaged and be engaged in your marriage, understand marriage is about giving and we must be willing to give of ourselves. Now, why would we think the church is any different this morning? Why would we think that we can be involved and be active and be a part of something as wonderful as the body of Christ fulfilling the will of God without it costing us something and our willingness to be engaged? It will cost us of something. And it see, I see very clearly now, this is why God led us to preach on giving in the first quarter. I want you to think about how God did for us this morning before we get into this. God loved us. The Bible says that he was not willing in Peter that any should perish. God didn't want any of us to die and go to hell. Matter of fact, the Bible would go on in 1 Timothy to say that he wanted all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God desired that we could be saved, that we would be saved. God desired that each and every one of us would come to a knowledge of the truth. But sooner or later, do you know what God had to do? He had to be willing to give. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. In order for him to be engaged in our life and intervene into our eternal state, God had to give his desire and his love sooner or later, took the shape of his son, and he was willing to give that we might be saved. Now, folks, if God was willing to give, and if Christ was willing to give, why on earth do we think that we're going to be able to be a part of the body of Christ and not have to give something sooner or later? 
Now, I understand that's easier said than done. Last week, we looked at the thought of lessons and letting things go and letting things down and laying things aside. And I understand that's hard, but the good news is in John chapter 12, we looked at the perfect example. We have the example of our Savior, and he shows us exactly how to let go. John 12 and verse number 12, we read about the triumphal entry. We see Christ coming in Jerusalem, and they are praising him, and they are adoring him for who he is and what he's about to do. And yet, in verse 23, we looked last week, he is looking past the emotions of the moment. Rather than sit there and bask in all that they have to say about him, he's focused. Notice verse 23, the hour has come, the Son of Man should be glorified. He's looking to the cross. He's showing us how to let go. So if we're going to lay down our life and be willing to give what God requires of us in our service to him, we've got to understand, we've got to see past the emotions of the moment. We get caught up in the moment of this life too easily. We get comfortable in the moment of this life and the trappings of this life, and it takes our minds off of what really matters, and that's what God left us here to do as individuals and as his body. Now, folks, if we're going to see past the moment, we're going to have to get past some of the emotions of the moment. And I believe between verse number 12 and verse number 25, you're going to see three emotions that Christ had. You're going to see three feelings that Christ experienced and had to get over in order to fulfill his Father's will. Now, here's what I want you to understand. So often in our life, we have feelings and our emotions keep us from moving forward in the will of God. I don't know if you know this, but we live by our feelings more than we realize we do. How often do we miss church and we don't really have a good reason, but it's because we just didn't feel like it. How often do we get out of church and we quit church and we give up on God? Not because of anything God did, because somebody hurt our feelings. Feelings are very powerful. Emotions are very powerful. And if you don't learn to deal with emotion, and if you don't learn to overlook the feelings of the moment, I hate to tell you, they're going to dictate your life and they're going to take it off your focus. I thought of something funny last night. Uh, I was embarrassed by it, but it's the truth, and so I'll let you get in on the laugh. When I met my wife, I was smitten, and I still am, by the way, 15 years in. And I remember I was working with my dad in construction, and we were building a house out in Covington County, and my brother was also seeing a girl that would be his wife from the same city in Louisiana, and so on Fridays, we would drive up after work to go see our future wives. And that Friday, those Fridays were pretty tough days because I really wasn't focused. I was just thinking about going and seeing Leslie. I was excited about it. Uh, still excited about seeing her. I got to look forward to going home from work every afternoon. I can remember my dad one day coming to us on a Friday as we were getting ready to go to Monroe that afternoon. He says, you guys are worthless today. He says, you're just worthless you left your tools at home, you can't read a tape measure, you're cutting boards short, and there's no such thing as a board stretcher, by the way, for some of you that may not know that. He says, look, your, your head's not in the game. What's the matter? I'll tell you what was the matter. It was a lovely young lady in Monroe, Louisiana, that I had feelings for. And the feelings that I had were affecting my focus. Now, if you're not careful... The feelings that you have in this life and in this body will affect your eternal focus. 
As a matter of fact, I believe for the most part, the church in America today is worthless, just like I was on Fridays when I was seeing my wife. Why? It's because our feelings affect our focus. Now, there's some feelings we're going to look at. Now, look, I'm not trying to be Dr. Phil today, okay? But I want to show you there's some very real feelings that Christ is going to experience right here. But he had to look beyond his feelings to fulfill what God had called him to do. Because if you're not careful, your feelings will dictate your focus. Rather than your focus dictates your feelings. Give an example. It's raining. I don't want you to get out there in the rain. Maybe if I preach a little bit longer, it'll be over and you'll get to go home and it'll be dry, okay? So just sit. We got great comfortable chairs. Just get comfortable and sit back. Remember the parable of the talents? He was given the guy that was given the one talent, and he took his talent, and he buried it in the earth. And when the master came back, he says, what did you do with what I gave you? He says, I buried it in the earth, but why did he bury it? He said, I was afraid. So rather than focus on what he was called to do, he allowed the feelings of fear to dictate what he was focused on, and it cost him dearly. Can I tell you this morning, if you're not careful, the feelings and the emotions that you have will dictate your eternal focus, and when you stand before your master, you'll have nothing. Why? Because you are more in touch with your feelings than you were with your focus. Now flip the script, think about the Apostle Paul, book of Acts chapter number 20, the Apostle Paul is going to Jerusalem, and the Bible says that he was going bound in the spirit in Jerusalem, not knowing what was waiting on him other than bonds and afflictions. Paul knew that in front of him, there was hard times waiting. Now I don't know about you, but hard times do not make me feel very good. I like good days better than bad days any day of the week, Amen. I was, look, I gave you an easy one to amen on that. Some of you are new to amening, so I gave you an easy one to jump in and kind of get trying to pump just a little bit. I love good days. I hate knowing I've got a rough day ahead of me. It doesn't make me feel good. But here's what Paul said. Paul says, none of these things move me. Notice what was waiting on him, the difficulty, and how he felt did not affect his focus. He says, neither count on my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy. Paul was focused, and he allowed his focus to dictate his feelings, not his feelings to dictate his focus. Now, folks, listen to me. If you're not careful, you'll let the feelings of this flesh dictate what you're focused on And you'll stand before God and have nothing. The good news is we're going to learn from Christ this morning. And here's what you need to know about Christ. The Bible says he's our example. Now, this is important. Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says that Christ was in all points tempted as you and I. What does that mean? He was tempted to feel every way you are tempted to feel. You will never go through anything or face anything that he did not experience. He was in all, he was tempted to fear. He was tempted to lust. He was tempted and he overcame all of the temptation. So Christ will show us, if we're willing to learn this morning, how to deal with our feelings. Now, I know that sounds all warm and fuzzy, but it won't be warm and fuzzy in just a minute. So bear with me. As this morning, as we look at three feelings Three feelings that affect our focus. Now look back to chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse 13. As Jesus enters into Jerusalem, 
The Bible says here in verse 13, they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, we're going to look at really some specifics that attaches to the message last week is what we're going to be looking at today. And as we look at these people that are here, these are not casual onlookers. These are not those that are just come like the paparazzi to get a look at Christ. Notice what they're saying. They are saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. These people are acknowledging who he is. These people are not just there to see him. These people have accepted him for who he is. And can I tell you this morning, I don't care how spiritual you are, the feeling of acceptance is a good one, isn't it? I mean, none of us like being outcast. I know sometimes we like to act like loners and we don't need friends and we don't need all of this. But deep down inside, every one of us like being a part of a group and like being accepted by the group. Yesterday, I got a text message from somebody that they were praying for me and I was in a group with 10 other people. I didn't have the names of any of the 10 other people in my phone. It was just a bunch of numbers. I texted the people in the group. I said, hey, I appreciate this, but who is this? I like to know what group I'm in. I'm thankful to be a part of a group. It's not often preachers get to be a part of a good group or a worthwhile group, to be honest with you at all. And I was excited to be accepted of the group. And we like being accepted, don't we? But you know, the Bible would tell us that for Christ to move forward in his Father's will, he would have to leave behind this moment of acceptance. And just a little while later, there would be a garden in Gethsemane where the Bible says that they all forsook him. And he would be alone. Do you know the thought of moving from being accepted to being rejected is not one that makes me feel very good. Number one, the first feeling that's going to affect your focus is the feeling of acceptance. The feeling of acceptance. The only way that Christ would move forward to fulfill his Father's will is he would have to move beyond the feeling of acceptance. Can I tell you this this morning? Whether you'll admit it or not, you'd be surprised to realize that how much of what you do and you don't do is because of what's accepted and what's not accepted. You'd be amazed. I read a story several years ago in a psychology book about how they did an experiment on a professor in a classroom. And they went in before the professor got there, and they got this side of the class to sit stone-faced. No matter what the professor said, they sat there, and they did not smile, and they did not laugh. They came to this side of the class, and says, no matter what, you smile at everything he says. They put a camera in the room, and by the end of the, the class period, the professor had spent 73% of his time on this side of the class. What happened? He naturally gravitated toward the area that he felt accepted by. Can I tell you that professor's not alone? Every one of us have that same problem. We gravitate toward areas of acceptance. We like being accepted. None of us likes being the outcast. But understand this. We cannot allow the feeling of acceptance to distract us from our focus. I love being embraced. I love being a part of a group. But there will be times in your life where you will have to leave behind the feeling of acceptance to rely and focus on what God's called you to do. And Gosh, that doesn't feel good, does it? There's a reason that God told the prophet Jeremiah, he says, be not afraid of their faces. Now, God didn't tell him that because he had an ugly church, okay? Every church has ugly people in it. We got ugly people in ours, 
All right? He didn't tell them, be not afraid of their faces because they were ugly. Can I tell you what he was telling the prophet Jeremiah? There are times their faces are going to say, we don't accept what you're saying. By the way, smile when you can. It helps out a whole lot. Make up for those guys that don't know how. I'm being honest with you. It helps out. Now, folks, he says, don't be afraid of their faces. Why? Because at times their faces are going to say, we don't accept what you have to say, and that's not going to feel good. What God was telling Jeremiah was, in order for you to remain focused, you're going to have to get past that feeling of acceptance. And oh, here's what happens. We come to this crossroads, every one of you will. Every one of us will here today. You're going to come to a crossroads where you have to decide whether or not you're going to go with what's accepted by the world or what's expected by God. I'm going to say that again. You're going to come to a crossroads in your life where you have to decide if you're going to take the road of what's expected by the world or accepted by the world or what's expected by God. And I hate to tell you, unfortunately, most folks go with what's accepted by the world. I'm not talking about the folks outside these walls. I'm talking about folks inside these walls. It's easy to talk about what you're going to do when you have kids. And what you're going to teach them and what you're going to stand on and how you're going to lead your home and the husband you're going to be. But sadly, so often, our kids and our homes, the world puts pressure on us and we peel out and do what is accepted by the world rather than what's expected by God. Why? Because it doesn't feel good. Doesn't feel good. None of us like being excluded. None of us like moving from acceptance to being rejected, but that was the will of God for his life. Now, can I ask you something this morning? Why on earth would Christ have to move from being accepted to being rejected and we not follow in his footsteps? Why do we think that we can live the will of God here on this life and always be embraced by the world? By the way, that's what the church is so desperately trying to do today. We want to be accepted by the world so bad. But understand this. When we choose to be accepted by the world, we are rejecting the focus for which we are called and what God left us here to do. Do you know Daniel was a man just like us? Sometimes we think these people in the Bible had, you know, green blood and antifreeze running through their veins that they didn't feel like we feel. The truth is Daniel had all the same feelings you and I do. Can you imagine? Just kind of put yourself there. Some of you, it's been a while since you've used your imagination, all right? So you're going to have to break it out and WD it a little bit, get it moving a little bit. Imagine how Daniel felt when the, the word came down that he couldn't worship his God, he had to worship another. All of a sudden, Daniel stands at that crossroads. This is what the nation has accepted, but he knows what God is expecting. And Daniel stands and he's trying to decide, do I go with what's accepted or do I do what God expects of me? I'll promise you Daniel's heart raced just a little bit. Why? Because he's about to have to set out alone and leave from being, a, you know, Daniel was preferred by the king. Daniel had an exalted position in the kingdom. 
In order for him to do what God expected of him, he was going to have to leave behind what was accepted. And I will promise you, if you're ever going to amount for anything in the cause of Christ, you're going to have to leave behind the feeling of being accepted and move on to the focus of what God has called you here to do. And it's not going to feel good. It doesn't feel good. Can I tell you this real quick? It feels even worse when you're not accepted amongst Christians. Even preachers at times. We read about Esther. I kind of feel like Esther had these same feelings. You know, if you read the book of Esther, when Mordecai is trying to talk to Esther about going in and intervening to save her people, she said, which is not according to law. Wait a minute. You know, here's Esther, and Esther's realizing that what she's being called to do is not acceptable. That for her to go in unto the king, that's not acceptable behavior. And there's going to be consequences. Don't tell me she didn't have feelings of dread. My watch keeps up with my heart rate. As far as I know, it's doing well. My heart is. I'll go on here and I'll read. Amen. I'll go on here and I'll read my heart rate. And I'll read how it's doing. And there's certain times where I'll get out and have to run for something. You know, I try not to unless I have to. But I'll have to go run for something, run across the parking lot because it's raining or try to, you know, get to the uh, Sonic before happy hour is over, you know, to save that 98 cents. And I'll look down, man, my heart rate spikes up. I imagine if I was in Esther's shoes, it would say right about the time that she got to the crossroads between what's accepted and what's expected, her heart began to race. That was not a feeling that Esther enjoyed, but can I tell you what she decided to do? She decided to do what was not accepted. Can I tell you what, what I pray for our teenagers in our church? My prayer for them is that when they leave this place to go out into the world, they're prepared to do what is not accepted. Because if they fit the status quo and they go and they just do what's accepted and how they're embraced by the crowd, they're probably not going to do much for the cause of Christ. So the first feeling this morning that will affect your focus is the feeling of what's accepted. And I hate to tell you this, I see the church today. And when I say the church, I don't mean just our church. I'm talking about church, the church in general. I see the church constantly evolving. Now, look, I have no problem with changing our approach. There's, look, there are times changing your approach is a good thing. But there's a difference between changing your approach and changing what you accept. Why? Because what we accept has already been outlined by the Word of God. We don't have to change our mind on whether this is right or wrong because God never changes. Forever his word is settled in heaven. So we don't have to worry about changing what we believe because it's not going to change. But we see the church going through this evolution today. And it's eerily tracking similar to the path the world is taking. You watch it. It's not like we've discovered some new scripture that says some the things that we were doing in the past were wrong. It's because we want to remain relevant by accepting what they accept. And the feelings of acceptance overshadow our focus of what God's called us to do. It's amazing. The church is changing its stance every few weeks. Just this week, the Southern Baptist Convention launched an entire new wing, or there's a new wing, uh, the Conservative Baptist Network out of the Southern Baptist. Why? Because the, the mainline denominations following off and following the path of the world. And so you got one group going this way, one group going this way. Why are they doing that? Why are we having? Because we want to remain accepted. And so we adjust what we believe to what they believe so that they might accept us. That's why our positions are continually evolving.
I read a story years ago about a man and a, a young man and a boy he had an apprentice and their job was to take supplies up to the top of a mountain and deliver supplies through the cities. There were four cities on his route up the mountain. As they were heading up the mountain, the man had a donkey and the little boy was following the donkey. And as he went to the first town, the people in the city says, man, you're dumb not to ride the donkey. Why are you pulling? Why are you carrying the donkey? Why don't you just ride the donkey? And so he got on the donkey and began to ride it and the boy followed behind. The second city they came to, the people looked and they says, how, look, how stingy of you to ride the donkey and not let the boy ride the donkey. So he got off the donkey and let the boy get on back of the donkey and they began riding again. When they got to the third city, the people of the city said how this young man was so uh, unrespecting of the older man and they said he should be letting the older man ride with him. So the old man got on the donkey with the boy and now they're riding. They got to the fourth city. The people of the city looked out and said, how cruel that two of you should ride on the back of one donkey. You should get off. And the last time they saw the man was carrying the donkey down the road. Here's what happens. Every time we go through a new city, we change our position on it. We're allowing the culture and what the culture has accepted to change what we believe. And I'll tell you, this is why the church has lost its power, because we've lost our focus because of the feeling and the desire to be accepted. Understand, if you're going to fulfill the will of God, you're going to have to get over that feeling of acceptance. Something jumped out to me last night, really, is I don't know if I've ever preached on this verse. The Bible tells us that Christ stood before Pilate. He's trying to decide who to let go. The Bible says that the people were crying out to crucify Christ and release Barabbas. And these are the words the Bible uses. The Bible says this about Pilate. He being willing to content the people. Released Barabbas and sent Jesus to be scourged. Why? What motivated Pilate? to release Jesus to be scourged and let Barabbas go free. The Bible says he was willing to content the people. And I think about how often in my life, in our churches, we let Christ go. Why? To content the people. We want the people to be pleased and the people to be happy. The first feeling we see in verse 13, it's the feeling of acceptance. But then look down, if you will, to verse 23. I'm going to hurry, but stick with me. The only reason that this will not affect you is if you're not human. If you're not human, I'd like to talk to you after the service. John 12, verse 23, Jesus says, The hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, verse 23 and verse 24 give us a little bit more clarity in exactly how Christ was thinking. And when you read these verses, you can clearly tell he's thinking that and knowing that letting go of his life, it's not going to be easy. Can I tell you, we, we used the gear last week about whatever it is that God requires of you in his will, that you could be a part of what God desires to do. Letting go is not easy, is it? And in verse 23 and verse 24, we see Christ understanding. Look, he's not giving a horticultural lesson here. He understands that he is going to have to give his life, and giving his life is not easy. So in verse 24, we see him dealing with the second feeling that will affect your focus. Number two, it's the feeling of anticipation. The feeling of anticipation. Now let me explain. Christ is looking forward and knowing that, 
what the will of God is going to cost him. He knows what it's going to cost him. How easy and how inviting it would have been to stay where you were accepted. But he knows that ahead of him, that in order to fulfill his father's will, it's going to cost him his life. And now he has the feeling of anticipation. I'll give you a picture. I think I gave you a roller coaster picture last week. I'll give you another one. Uh, years ago, I did not like riding roller coasters that had these drops. I told you that last week. And you walk into the animal kingdom at Disney World, and in the distance, you see this mountain looming on the horizon. It's called Expedition Everest. And you look at that mountain, and you realize there's a ride in there. I think I have a picture of it. I'll show you right quick. Uh, There's a picture right there. And you see it in the distance. And you look up on the top left side, and you see the train going into the mountain. Now, for a guy that doesn't like drop rides, my heart starts racing because I know the first place that she wants to go. Is the scariest, death-defying thing you can find. And I know that being the leader of my home, that I have to lead and swallow my pride and act like I enjoy it. So we start walking, and then we get a little bit closer. You can see the next picture. It starts to come into view now. Not only is there a track going up there, but there's a black cave in the front of it to where you and the rest of the crazy people with you will plummet seemingly towards your death out the front. And then when you get right up on it, you begin to see the people. And there they are coming out of the mountain. And as we walked into the gates and I saw the mountain in the distance, my heart began to race. Why? I'm anticipating what's coming. And the closer and the closer and the closer I got, my heart is pounding. I'm walking through the line. And through the line, they have all this neat stuff to look at. My wife says, won't you look at this? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, yeah. Look at this. Did you know that Mount Everest is 29,000 feet tall? Yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah. I can't focus on anything. Why? Because I'm anticipating what's coming. I'm about to have to strap myself into a death vehicle, go zooming through a mountain which goes backwards, and she didn't tell me that the first time, and then plummet seemingly to my death before at the last minute we are saved by That teenager working the button that says stop the coaster when we get off. Can I tell you, as I walk through that line, it's hard to focus. Why? Because the feeling of anticipation. I know what's coming, and what's coming is scary. I love it now, all right? I grew up a little bit. I love it. I enjoy riding. But man, those feelings of anticipation will cause you to get out of line Now, here's Christ. Christ is looking forward. What is he talking about in verse 24? Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. He knows what is waiting on him. And can I tell you why many of us choose to remain with the accepted, then move forward to what God expects of us, is because we can't get beyond the feelings of anticipation because we know that following Christ is going to cost our life. We know it. We know that in order to be engaged, we've got to move beyond the feelings of the fact that I've got to give away my life. Now, can I ask you, if it cost Christ his, why shouldn't it cost us ours? When I was in Africa preaching, preached in an open-air building, really didn't, there's no glass windows, just stone and at the end of the service, a man walked the aisle to trust Christ. His name was Francis. I have a picture, but I couldn't find it this morning. 
and got to lead Francis to the Lord through an interpreter that was there. Went on about my business visiting with the kids. I, I taught the kids after that and uh, went outside and was talking with the interpreter. He said that was a big step for Francis. I said, it's a big step for, any, you know, just kind of regurgitating the usual line. Yeah, that's a big step for anybody getting saved. Amen. He said, no, you don't understand. He says, Francis is a Muslim. And all of Francis's family are Muslims. When Francis goes home and professes Christ, he will be shunned. If Francis follows the Lord in believer's baptism, he will be persecuted. And he will lose his birthright. He said that was a big step for Francis. Then I realized just how big of a step it was. Francis was willing to trust Christ, knowing what it was going to cost him. But Francis deemed that it was worth it. Now, folks, there's people all over this world who will put their life on the line. They will put their inheritance on the line. They will put being accepted on the line just for the privilege to serve God. And yet in America today, I'm not sure that it's worth it to us. Because we choose to side with our feelings. I just can't give what I know it's going to cost me. Folks, listen. Letting go is going to cost you your life. And that's why we choose not to follow Christ. The Bible tells us about the rich young ruler. And I'll hurry. You know. He comes to Christ and asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Christ says keep the commandments. He's not telling him. That he has to work his way to heaven. He's telling him that that has to be satisfied. And the rich young ruler could could not satisfy keeping all the commandments. And what did he say? I've done this from my youth. Well, Jesus says, then take all that you have and sell it. Give it to the poor and follow me. The Bible says that he went away. He broke the first two commandments right there. He didn't love the Lord his God with all of his heart. He loved his money more. He didn't love his neighbor as himself because he wasn't willing to sell what he had to give to them. You see, folks, he went away. He said, no, thank you. The cost is too high. Can I tell you what it's going to cost to follow Christ? It's going to cost you your feelings. And those feelings of anticipating it costing your life, they come along with the job. Luke 9, what does it say in 23? If any man will come after me, let him what? Deny himself. This is the dying to self where we take who we are and what we are and we set that aside. Why? That we might follow Christ. And can I tell you something? After 25 years of serving God in ministry, I've yet to regret it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Christ thought we were worth it. I will not take the time to get into it this morning, but when you look at what it would cost Christ, you said it would cost him his life. Think about this real quickly. All right, just stick with me for a few minutes. Just a little while after this passage, he would be forsaken in the Garden of Gethsemane. It cost him his friends. Not long after that, it would cost him his freedom. As he hung on the cross, his father would turn his back on him. I mean, oh my goodness. You know, it's one thing to lose your friends, but oh, losing family. When God had to turn his back on his son, oh, the feelings that he went through, the price he was willing to pay, and what do we hold on to and not follow Christ? I, I, it can't cost me my friends. It can't cost me my freedom. If I follow Christ, I'm not going to be able to go and do what I want to anymore. Exactly not, because you're not your own anymore. You belong to him. We fear those feelings of losing and folks leaving us behind. So how do we, 
How do we get beyond that feeling? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, verse 24, except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. You see, that really the key to finding your life is losing it. They sang about it a minute ago. I found it all when I lost everything. Folks, that's the key to it. What does the Bible say? Give and it shall be given unto you. The Bible says bring our tithes into the storehouse and you'll open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we can't receive. Notice it's not the way we normally think because we think in order to have, we've got to hold on. But God says the way that you bring forth fruit is to let it go. There's a story of an eagle one time. This man was watching this beautiful bald eagle fly around and he watched the bald eagle swoop down into this little meadow and he picked up a weasel began flying off with the weasel. And he's flying, he's got him in his talons, and a few minutes later, he saw the commotion in the air, the eagle's having trouble, and next thing you know, the eagle is just spiraling toward the ground, and the eagle hits up against a rock and dies. Man walks over to where he saw the eagle fall, and sure enough, the eagle's laying there, and the eagle's dead, and trying to figure out what happened, and he sees that the weasel had grabbed him by the throat and bit him in the throat and killed the eagle. The moral of the story is that all the eagle had to do was let go of the weasel to live. But that eagle wanted that weasel so bad that he held on to it, and it cost him his life. You see, folks, we think when we save our life that we keep it, but the truth is, verse 25 shows us the exact opposite. The last feeling that you're going to have to overcome to remain focused is in verse 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it, He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Now, why is it hard? Why is it so hard to leave behind acceptance? Why is it so hard to get over the feelings of anticipation? Well, it's because verse 25 uses a word you need to focus in on. He that loveth his life. The third feeling that will affect your focus this morning is the feeling of affection. Ultimately, what you do will be determined by what you love. What you do and what you're willing to let go of will be determined by what you love the most. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that he what? He lays his life down. Why is he willing to lay that down? He's, it's his affection He loves his friend more than he loves his life. And can I tell you why? We cling to what's accepted. Can I tell you why this morning we will not let go of our life? This is tough, but it's true. It's because we love our life more than I think we love the Lord. So how do you know? John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved. That word so is very important. He's saying this is how much for God so loved. He loved so much that he what? He gave. That's how much he loved us. He loved us so much that he was willing to give. And folks, can I tell you why we're not willing to give? Can I tell you why we can't let go of what God has told us that he requires? Because we love it too much. Because we love it too much. This Friday, past Friday, was Valentine's Day. And I didn't see any black eyes on the husbands this morning. So I'm assuming you did your job. Well done. There are some men missing this morning, so maybe worse than a black eye. But 
Do you know how much the average American spent on Valentine's this year? $142. I exceeded that. Amen. Collectively, Americans spent $20.7 billion. I went in Walmart. I already had my gift. I had my gift for days because I just do things like that. And, uh, but I did have to go in Walmart Friday, and there were men scrambling everywhere. I saw this one guy carrying this six-foot-tall teddy bear, and I'm thinking, I don't know if she's going to like that. My wife told me, don't you dare give me a six-foot-tall teddy bear because I don't know what I would do with it. And so I, I knew what my wife wanted, and I got her that. But I saw these guys running around. You know what they were doing that in the name of what? Love. $20.7 billion, all in the name of love. I mean, some of you husbands, man, you stepped up to the plate on Friday, and you were willing to give. Why? In the name of love. Can I tell you, love is a very, very powerful emotion. Love is a very powerful feeling, and it can be a great motivator when it's pointed in the right direction. But I fear our problem is simply this. We can't let go of the world and focus on the call of what God has given us to do because we're too in love with the world. Isn't that why 1 John tells us, love not the world? Can I tell you, when God challenges us not to do something that automatically entails that there's the potential for that to happen, amen, when he tells you, I never tell my daughter, don't fly around the house because she can't fly around the house. I'll never tell my daughter, don't drive the car because she sure can't drive. But if God tells us, hey, don't do this, it means you and I have the human potential to do that. And he tells us to love not the world. Why? Because that affection is strong. I fear this morning the reason so many of us can't let go of the world is because we are too in love with it. And what you give, how much time you give, How much of yourself you give, how much of your heart you give, whatever God requires you to give, how much of it you give to God will be based on how much we love God. See, how do you know that? Because he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Notice the motivator that love is. Folks, when I'm not giving God all that God deserves and desires, look, the problem is not my pocketbook or my time. The problem is my love for him is not what it ought to be. Folks, there are times in our life when we don't love God as we should, and you see it reflected so clearly in our affection and what we're willing to give. I'll give you this real quickly. I think about Abraham. Genesis 22, the Bible says that God told Abraham, I want you to take your son, Isaac, and sacrifice him up on Mount Moriah. Man, I read this this morning. He says, take thy son. Thine only son that thou lovest. Wait a minute. Now Abraham's going to have to take something he loves and lay it down to be obedient to God. And yet we see Abraham climbing the mountain. Within just a second of taking his son's life, God intervenes. You know why Abraham was willing to lay down something he loved? Because he loved God more. He loved God more. Folks, there's nothing wrong with loving deer hunting. But you need to love God more. 
Nothing wrong with loving big trucks and big cars and fast cars and nice boats. Nothing wrong with loving those things, but you better love God more. Nothing wrong with loving our job and big bank account. Nothing wrong, listen, but when you love that more than you love God, when you hold that more than you hold on to God, and you're willing to give up God for those, something's wrong. And so often we see in the Christian life we are willing to give up God and hold on to what we really love more. This is why Colossians 3, the Bible says to set your what on things above? Affection. Love. There it is. If we just loved eternity, and if we just love what's waiting on us, eternity, if we just set our affections on things above, oh, what we could accomplish for the cause of Christ. You see, what he's saying is set your focus on things above, not on your feelings that are here below. Now, folks, if we don't get to the place to where our focus determines our feelings, you will live a life. I told somebody the other day, somebody says, how old are you? I said, I'm 40. It was one of those moments. I know that I'm 40, okay? I haven't forgotten that. One of those moments, I said, I'm 40. You know, I'm, I'm nearing the halfway point, maybe another 10, 15 years, but I'm nearing the halfway point. And I know the, the last half is not as healthy as the first half. I've got to where when I get up in the morning, it takes me about four steps to work out the kinks and the pops. I got to get busy. Folks, this life's going to be passed before you know it. And all that you will have is what you're willing to give to. That's all you're going to have. It's not going to be what you kept because you can't take it with you. But all that you'll have left is what you were willing to give. And what you're willing to give so often is determined on how we feel. Can I tell you this morning? There's three feelings that are going to affect your focus. The first is a feeling of acceptance. Can I challenge you, mom and dad? Get over the feeling of having your kids being accepted. I got to buy them this. They got to look like this. They got to be involved in this. Why? All because we want them to be accepted. No, look, don't develop that relationship with the love of the world now. Teach them to realize, hey, be focused. Be focused on the eternal because all of this will fade. You're going to have to get over that feeling of acceptance. And then whatever God's requiring of you, you're going to have to get past the feeling of anticipation. Wait a minute, what if, what if God this? What if God does? It'd be worth it. There's nothing God could ask of you. By the way, he owns you already. That feeling of anticipation, or maybe it's the affection that's getting you. Can I ask you this morning, and I'm done. What feeling is affecting your focus? Why can't you focus? Why can't you focus? Why can't you? Christ is standing here. They're pouring on the accolades, and he's locked in. He's locked in. The emotions of the moment are not affecting him. Why? Because he's locked in. He will not allow his feelings to affect his focus. So this morning, what feelings are affecting your focus? Is it the feeling of being accepted or rejected? Is it the feeling of anticipating what God, I can't surrender my life to Christ. What if he calls me to go to Nigeria? What if he does? The greatest privilege of your life. Or maybe this morning the feeling that you're dealing with is the feeling of affection. Maybe you're too in love with what God wants to give him. The Bible said in those verses, listen close. He said that when you hold on to it, it dies alone. You hold on it until it dies. And that's all you die with. But you give it to God. God puts it in the ground and he plants it. And he takes a life that was given to him. 
and produces fruit. But you know what has to happen? You've got to be willing to lay it down and to let it go. So what is it this morning that God wants? I don't know. He doesn't tell me. Thank the Lord. I don't know. I know what he wants from me. What does he want from you? Are you willing to let it go this morning? And if you're not willing to let it go, what is it? What is that feeling that you're going to have to get over? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Let's stop here and